New Mission Practices Generosity Psalm 112.5 It is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. 2 Corinthians 9, 6-8 The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. The practice of generosity is a response to God's generosity toward us. Everything we have is given to us as good gifts from God the Father. Paul underscores this when he writes to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 4-7, What do you have that you did not receive? When we practice generosity, we are walking in the way of Jesus, who gave his life for us. The entire character of his life on earth was one marked by generosity. He modeled it as a way that we should live as well. The generosity of finances is central to the practice of generosity. Money, of course, can lead to deformation rather than formation. It can lead us away from the way of Jesus and into the way of this world. Money and what it can buy can latch its tentacles into our hearts in a way that controls us. We must resist this through the practice of generosity. Generosity, defined as joyfully giving our hearts and our time, talents, and resources for the sake of others, can break the power of consumption over us. A posture of glad generosity should characterize the people of Jesus, not stinginess or withholding. We know that God has provided for us and that he will continue to provide for us. With this assurance, we can freely give what God has entrusted to us. We are stewards and not owners. Practicing generosity reinforces this truth and shapes our posture toward everything we have. As we steward well what God has given us for His glory and the good of others, we experience freedom and joy. In Paul's final warning to the elders at the church in Ephesus, the church where he spent the most time and in which he invested them most deeply, he leaves them with one final truth to shape the culture of their hearts. He writes, It is more blessed to give than to receive. You can build a life and a church on that practice. Practice. Generosity encompasses all of who we are, our time, our talents, and our treasure. The practice of generosity will look different from one person to the next. The point is not to be prescriptive, but to encourage you to look toward Christ, allowing Him to shape how you practice generosity. Start with time. Your time is your life. In an age of busyness, practicing generosity with your time is so countercultural. Is there a specific group or people that God has placed on your heart? Well, then ask God to show you ways to spend time serving them, the vulnerable, single moms, youth, widows, or refugees. Talents. How God has gifted you uniquely, singing, construction, or administration. Those ways are not just for yourself, but for the benefit of others. Ask God to show you how you can share your unique gifts with others. That might look like tutoring kids who've fallen behind during the pandemic, offering legal assistance pro bono, or helping to build a wheelchair ramp for someone in need. And then treasure. Jim Elliott once remarked, 
He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. The practice of communion on Sunday, with everyone taking a small piece so that there's enough to go around, can carry over to Monday. Look through your home and assess what you can share with others. Look at what you've given financially over the past years and ask God to speak into your giving. You can practice generosity with your family and faith community in these ways. Talk with children about the difference between wants and needs. As wants come up during the month, give them the opportunity to save the money rather than spend it. Place any money saved in a jar in a prominent place in your home, and at the end of the month, let children choose how to provide for the needs of others with the saved money. Get together with friends and volunteer at Thrive. Or cook a batch of freezer meals for foster parents and drop them off at their home. Alternately, drop off pizzas at mealtime on a school night. R.D. McClinigan provides the following observation on the practice of generosity. The most generous man I ever knew was my father. At his funeral, person after person shared his generosity of time, words, and resources. Proverbs 11.25 states, Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. That is a beautiful description of true generosity, one who brings blessing. That was my dad. He brought blessing into this world, into the lives of so many people, and few received more of his blessing than me. You can only freely bless others if you have first received blessing yourself. My dad would always talk about how blessed he was by the Lord and how thankful he was for all the Lord had provided for him. It was out of this posture of humbly and gladly receiving the blessing of God and responding in gratitude to him that he could so freely bless others. My dad knew he was not an owner but a steward, entrusted by the Lord to steward his time, words, and resources for the sake of others. He lived from the blessing of the Lord, and he blessed others in the name of the Lord. Here's the thing. You can either live for blessing or from blessing. To live for blessing is to live out of insecurity. To live from blessing is to live in deep security. When you live for blessing, you are Ebenezer Scrooge on Christmas Eve, marked by joylessness, anxiety, selfishness, and seeking to accrue more and more. When you live from blessing, you are Ebenezer Scrooge on Christmas morning, marked by joy, peace, gratitude, and radiant generosity, seeking to give more and more. I want to be a Christmas morning person. I need more of the Holy Spirit for that. I will confess, there are many days that I look at my time, words, and resources, and my first instinct is to hoard, to conserve and withhold. Fear and anxiety grip me and ask, how can I? Then I think of my heavenly Father and my earthly one, and another question rises within my heart. How can I not? Thank you, Dad, for always asking the latter question and for modeling it for so many. One of the things that we've done within the book is we've provided a lot of white space. Space to write in the margins and to journal thoughts that you have. At this point, grab a piece of paper or a journal and write down what you've learned, what God has revealed, and what you're thinking about. 